Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. A few months ago, you'll remember, on an episode of On the Wing Podcast, number 165, I... Dropped off my German short hair pup, Gitchy, at, uh, well, she was about two and a half years old. Uh, dropped her off this uh, past April for some professional training at Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennels in Northfield, Minnesota, with a pro trainer who has now become a very good friend of mine, Mike Wieben. So go back and listen to episode 165. And this is the companion part two, closing the loop graduation ceremony episode of On the Wing podcast. And like that first one, special thanks to Sport Dog Brand Electronic Dog Training Collars, the uh, national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and the sponsor of this particular episode of On the Wing podcast. Thank you very much to Sport Dog for supporting our organization's wildlife habitat conservation mission and for helping us uh, bring um, education to all the bird dog owners out there across Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever land. So when I brought Gitchy to Mike um, back in April, there were three main things that I wanted um, to get Gitchy a little work on. Number one was... Uh, learning her place and that was for my own survival <laughs> because I've got a a trip into the Boundary Waters canoe area uh, at the end of September early October and it uh, it'll be a lot colder than where most people are listening from and um, I am going in with uh, Dave Simonette from Trampled by Turtles and Cal from Meat Eater and a friend of mine from Sportsman for the Boundary Waters and I didn't want Gitchy to tip over a canoe and kill the lead singer at Trample by Turtles by <laughs> hypothermia. So she, uh, number one on the list was uh, teaching Gitchy place, which she hadn't any. Um, she she had a little heel work, but very little place training. Number two, steady to wing shot and release, which um, my buddy John Zeman had gotten her um, to that point before last season, and then. Um, I was a bad student and let that deteriorate over the hunting year. Um, And then number three, the most important component was cleaning up Gitchy's retrieve. She she just wasn't uh, bringing birds back to hand very well. So that was kind of the primary focus with a bullet uh, for, for Mike's training. So... Mike, thank you very much for for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm I'm glad uh, we're here and able to catch up <laughs> after uh, what we've done here. And, and yeah, we're excited to kind of talk about you know the steps that we took to get her uh, where she is today. Uh, we actually just got back from a little review mm-hmm. here, kind of like you mentioned, a little graduation day, <laughs> just to double check. Um, and in a lot of a lot of classes, when you get to graduation day you're like i never thought that student was gonna make it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you you saw there was 
promise oh, yes. and get you from a lot the start. of raw potential right out of the gate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, she was just, she was the right dog for this training. Mm. Her bird desire was there. Um, her desire to work, um, that really helps this process when you got a dog that likes to work, not only does that help the process, but you know, it makes the whole process a little smoother and a little more enjoyable when they're right. wanting to participate in, in these daily activities. And in the, the challenge right from the get-go, and you and Tom both said, that, you know, this is going to be a little bit more of a challenge than normal because Gitchy, when I brought her in, uh, roughly two and a half, she'll be three here in October. So she's she's rounding into what should be your prime time, right? Mm-hmm, Age-wise, which is considerably later than you normally like to see dogs for this level of training. Yeah, normally around eight months is that window of opportunity to, you know, get that retrieve or these these habits of obedience control under under the way. And they're, they're young enough where hopefully those habits haven't been ingrained too much. Mm-hmm. There can be a little immaturity still at that time, mm-hmm. but we find that's kind of that best window to get that process going. Uh, generally, we like to have by the time the dog's a year, mm-hmm. we've finished, completed the training, and hopefully it's already into its first hunting season. Right. Um, so, yeah, with her being a little older, like we mentioned you know, last time, was what we were really fighting is just habits that were formed mm-hmm. and repetitively happen, hunt after hunt. Right. And that was kind of a big pill for her to swallow when mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was we had to make a change. As Denny Green, the former coach of the Minnesota Vikings, once said, there was a new, there's a new sheriff in town, <laughs> <laughs> and the new sheriff was Mike, and Gitchy had to get used to that. Absolutely. So we, we started definitely with some basic obedience. You mentioned that place command for, you know, that future being in a boat, mm-hmm. and, and that place for us has so many uses. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the biggest things that we really use that spot training for is really teaching dogs, whether they're pointing dogs or retrieving dogs, learning how to stay better. And mm-hmm. anybody that's been through one of our courses knows that we don't use the word stay behind woe or sit. We establish by teaching the animal that when we place you someplace, we need you to remain there until you're released. So kind of that process for her was first showing and introducing that spot to her. And of course, the first time, you know, she was up there because mm-hmm. she knew she was going to get praised, but immediately she was ready to move on and mm-hmm. go do something else. So it's that consistency of repeating, nope, you got to stay on here. And they kind of go through that test process of they'll get on there, then they kind of take one foot off, mm-hmm. and then they take two feet off. And it's very important early on when you start with that, that if you kind of pick on them for trying to test you, they, they kind of feel like, well, hey, I'm, I'm in trouble whether I'm on here or not. Mm. So it's very important early on in that process with her was we had to let her come all the way off, redirect her back on, and show her there was nothing but positive happening yeah. on that spot. And most dogs take to that once you start praising them and showing them it's a positive place to be. The next step for her was then adding the distractions. Mm-hmm. And in her case, being a pointing dog, using a wing on a pole, mm-hmm. uh, we would have added the duck call, talking, different things to try to provoke her to come off there prepare her for the movement of somebody around her, all the things that could happen while she's out in the field. And it's it's one of these things that can be done all in the yard prior mm-hmm. to hunting. And it really helps that dog learn how to remain where it's put by giving them a raised designated spot. And, and this training process is all about, you know, taking as much stress off them as they're learning. Mm-hmm. You know, just like kids in school, you make this as easy as possible. And by having that raised platform, we have great result for all the breeds. So the raised platform is a um, Ruffland, same company as Ruffland Kennels, the official 
kennel partner of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. They make a was it a, a docking idea? Absolutely. It yeah. was a docking so idea. Cool. Yeah. And that same plastic as, so we have a real durable mm-hmm. unit there. And what we've done is not only is it raised dogs, see mainly blacks and whites and shades mm-hmm. of gray. So we have a white spot. We do offer some tans and things for guys that might be trying to hide something in a mm-hmm. duck hunting scenario. Um, but what it's also been done is all those edges have been taken off. So mm-hmm. when we're working with young dogs on a check cord, we have something that doesn't have a corner on it right. that the rope can catch on. Or uh, hurt hurt the dog. I ab- mean, it's absolutely smooth and rounded. and Absolutely. And, and we found from all the things we worked with years ago, there was we had the platform, but there was all these elements mm. of edges and corners and things that things were getting caught on. Um, so we really now have something that works with every situation. And I'll, I'll testify. I mean, that thing is magic mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I have one now in my backyard at home and Gitchy runs to that place because for her, it's like, I'm, I want to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to stand on the place board and uh, I want to retrieve. Let's let's play. Yeah, she and knows it, if she gets on there, something fun, something yeah. positive's coming her way. And, and that transition of yard work, we've taken that into the boat, into the mm-hmm. blind for her and multiple, you know, retrieving breeds. You know, let's use like a duck boat for example. It can be really intimidating jumping over the edge. Well, if you put in something that they've been on, yeah. you'd be amazed how quick they adapt to that new situation. Go, oh, I know this. Yeah. I'm comfortable with this. Uh, so that tool has been just a great, and looking forward to your adventure here, the Boundary Waters, we're hoping long-term we're not putting a place in the boat, but you're right. going to have the ability to point at the bottom of the floor and go, right. this is a place like we've been working on, and take that training right. onto your next adventure. So do you, do I have like an official docking guarantee that I won't kill uh, lead singer <laughs> tramples in the boundary water? Well, let's hope that you're in control of her and watching her. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's going to be excited in that yeah. new environment. Uh, but uh we're hoping that that training carries yeah. over. No hypothermia. No. <laughs> well, so, okay, so place led very naturally right into number two, right? Mm-hmm. Steady to wing, shot, and release. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was definitely something like you mentioned that she had. She had it there, but it definitely wasn't top on her list when we started. She was <laughs> right. very eager, and, and we talked in the past about her being pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. So more than likely that competitive also caused her to kind of push off that training that was there. So being steady to that place mm-hmm. for all her retrieves throughout training really brought back that training that she had in the past and kind of putting the old steady to wing and shot she had with this new place training, mm-hmm. meshing those together really brought her back to nice and steady really quick. Oh, we, we just got done. So we were running um, pigeons and launchers, try to, and we'll get to like foolproofing me, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. <laughs> that's what we were doing today. But, uh, you know, she is absolutely rock solid. Um, whether it's on the pigeons we've been doing here or on my evening, uh, Wednesday evening training sessions, you know, she'll point, she'll honor rock solid bird will flush. And she maybe will spin around to watch the bird, yep, but get a better that, visual. and that's great, right? Like absolutely. you want the dog to know where the bird goes mm-hmm. down. Hopefully I hit it. Yep. Um, but yeah, she, she will not, she is not, um, broke until I, tap her on the head and give her the gitchy command yeah and all those drills like you were talking about having that spot at home where you can be reinforcing that mm-hmm. outside of those trips it, it just brings that she's more prepared for that hunt when she has a little bit of pregame at home yeah 
So, all right, so that transitions us to the third piece, the most important and probably the most challenging is the retrieve component. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we brought her here late April, and here we are in, in August as we're recording this. This took some time. Absolutely. You know, and, and what ends up happening is when you're finalizing rules on a bird, there is just so many steps that we put in front of actually asking them to perform on the bird. We go through multiple different objects of showing them how to hold it, carry it around, mm-hmm. bringing it back. And, of course, along that way in the early parts, that they're making mistakes. They're mm-hmm. testing us on those things. But that's why we would use an object that is not the bird, not their favorite dummy, to show and condition them to train to retrieve and have a better understanding of what's expected of them. A lot of basic obedience goes in this, too, because really retrieving to hand, trained to retrieve is really just obedience Mm. on the retrieve. But when you're talking about something that is very important out there, if you move that too quickly, Mm. you're too a little bossy on that one, you could put the dog in a position that goes, well, if you're going to put that many rules on this retrieve, I might just skip that part. Mm -hmm. And that's why we talk about this length of time kind of killing you guys at home of having (laughs) her for so long. You really need to take it break it down, Mm -hmm. show them. And then we went through that transition where early on with the objects we were making her work with, she went, well, I'm not doing that. I don't have to do that. I can't do that. Well, Mm -hmm. you work with her and show her how positively she's going to get rewarded for holding, moving. And then once that step happened, you kind of get this breakthrough where they go, okay, Mm. this is kind of like retrieving. Yeah, he's, he's putting some angles here, but I'm getting a lot of positive feedback for having this in my mouth and returning it. And then it's just a repetition game mm-hmm. and going through new objects. And in her case, you would have been throwing like a lot of knobby dummies at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, your puppy thought a knobby dummy was just as good as any kind of bird. <laughs> so every fun thing we started to bring to the table, we would have had a regression a little mm-hmm. bit. We addressed that new object. The real challenge is going, you know, from a frozen bird to the live bird. Mm-hmm. When that live bird's flapping in their face, mm-hmm. that really tends to bring out some of those bad habits and, and probably the worst you're going to see. Um, so by the time she got to the point where we forced her to be under control on that bird, well, she had a lot, a lot of reps mm. on different objects leading her up to that last goal of that bird. And if you start with the bird, and that's one thing we'd recommend anybody out there is do not try to force the dog to hold things that are birds, dummies, if they haven't had the prior steps of other objects. Gotcha. Because otherwise you're putting, once again, rules. Pressure on, on a bird. On the prize, yeah. yeah. And you, you might set yourself up that that will not be an option because you've already kind of put too many rules mm-hmm. on the fun. So that that's an important um, thing to spend just a moment on because, I, my again, my buddy Zeman, who is kind of a short hair whisperer that's coached me, he's like, you never want to um, use pressure, e-collar, mm-hmm. when the pup has bird in the mouth, unless, right, like you've gone through the entire process and know that that's a component of mm-hmm. it. But if you're unsure, just keep your fingers away from the pressure when the bird's in the mouth because that's the happy point, right? Yeah, and absolutely for her, you know, even coming in in her case, that she had some control when she was early on in the field. Once, when she was out there and we were non-bird in her mouth, we absolutely used that remote collar to control Mm -hmm. her. But the minute she had the bird in the mouth, we had to go back with a dog that was two and a half years old to the check cord, Mm -hmm. which was normally a younger dog stage, 
because until we got that train to retrieve followed up behind her, we would have never addressed that because she wouldn't have not understood what that correction was for. Or she could have thought it was for something that had nothing to do with the bird in her mouth. So absolutely, you want to keep that out of the equation until they get that education on that retrieved to hand. So we we talked about this in the first podcast. We've talked about it here already. There's sort of a window of time that's optimal to go through sort of this next. Is this called intermediary? Yep, intermediate. intermediate. Yep. And the window of time, best case, is eight months, mm-hmm. right, before they formulate ha- bad habits, right? I I can't believe I'm alone in having a dog that's beyond that optimum time that owners out there are like, well, this this dog's still going to be a good hunter for a decade. I want to backtrack. Not every, my, my assumption is not every dog can backtrack and do what we've put Gitchy through. I, I, I sort of believed that she had all the talents, the ingredients. She had a ton of prey drive. You know, she's pretty um, resilient, uh, when pressure's mm-hmm. put on her, so I thought, well, and and I and I knew that there was more there than I was bringing out. Um, what should a owner like? How can an owner assess if there's if their dog is going to be a candidate for taking that next step, or is it like they might not be able to assess, and they should really talk to a trainer like yeah, you or Tom? Absolutely, we should really see the dog, and and what we would do no different. We did we we didn't make it about what control you had. We wanted to see what the dog would do. And I remember our first session, mm-hmm. I'd said, let her, I don't want you to put any control on her. Mm-hmm. I, if she's going to do something wrong, I want to see it so we can see what the problem is. And you're right. There are dogs. We get phone calls uh, quite often about, you know, two-year-old dog, three-year-old dog. Um, I'm having problems with these, this retrieve or, or other things. And it's really a dog by dog case. Mm. Um, you know, and there are some scenarios. What we would do is have to kind of say here, it's going to take us a couple of weeks here to evaluate but just like you, what we were trying to see is how driven the dog was, how birdie the dog was, and then, like you mentioned, how resilient to taking some pressure on, pressure off is the dog. And some dogs that are older can be brought right up to speed, and some of them kind of put up a block and mm-hmm. go, hey, I, I'm not on board here. I don't want to do this. And what you end up sacrificing, potentially, if, if, if you try to apply this to a dog that's not a receptive is they might just stop retrieving completely. Mm. And that's where you're going to need a professional trainer to evaluate that dog. In those early stages with her too, we were kind of on, on thin ice, just working through that okay. to make sure that we didn't sour her, sour our relationship on, Hey, I'm asking you to do a new thing here. But you mentioned if the dog has good drive, resilient, and like you mentioned, she likes to work. So mm-hmm. that was a big, big part of why we're here today talking about success on this. And some of the tells, I'm again, I'm assuming, is like her tail is up, even when pressure's being put on, ears are pricked, eyes, heads up. Like there's no cowering. It's like I, I maybe don't like what's happening, but I'm still game because I have that prey drive. That's yeah, some of yeah. the things you're watching absolutely. throughout the entire time. Yeah, absolutely. And she can work through those things. And like you mentioned, she can take a little correction or mm-hmm. pressure on, pressure off. And, you know, you you really didn't see that phase her and put mm-hmm. her in a negative state of mind. And, and that plays a big factor on the dog's temperament as mm-hmm. well. 
and we'll see dogs that come in a little older or even younger that are, have a really soft, laid-back temperament, it really puts you in a position where you're going to have to work on the natural ability that they have and mm-hmm. maybe not you know, finish those things. Sure. Um, but these dogs that, in her case, when a dog wants to, let's say, eat the bird, mm-hmm. they usually are pretty aggressive internally, so probably put her in a better category to have this happen based on how driven and how aggressive she was on the birds. So we've, we just got done and I couldn't be more thrilled with all three facets place place very early on when I started coming down here was like, well, wow. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and, uh, steady to wing shot and release has been solid from the moment and, and the retrieve. Yeah. I mean, she's, a completely different dog on the retrieve it's polished you know she's she knows that we're a team now yes working together on this so um what i want to transition to is a part of the conversation that's rarely talked about and that's training the the owner Uh, before i go there uh, i want to shout out to onyx uh, a national sponsor of pheasants forever and quail forever and uh, official partner of On The Wing Podcast. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx app. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface as Onyx has countless tools to make you a safer and more successful hunter. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the U.S., including me, as you can join them by downloading the app for a risk-free seven-day trial. Use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process for 20% off your Onyx membership. And you'll be glad to learn that a portion of all Onyx map sales using these codes, pheasants and quail, goes back to support our wildlife habitat mission, leading to more habitat in the field, more birds in the field, and more public lands for you to hunt, thanks to Onyx. All right, so I mentioned um, rarely, whether it's podcasts, TV shows, you name it, like we always talk to trainers, dog trainers, about training the dog. But that leaves out a really big component. Very big important, yeah. And, and, um, you know, I think I've been, like I said, been coming for the last week and a half, once a week. And um, you've been training me because, well, I, I'm assuming you can only take that dog so far. You give the, the pup, you know, you hand the leash back over to the owner. And the process isn't over at that point, is it? No, absolutely not. And, and especially any dog that's formulated a habit at home, and we've changed that habit. Um, I, going back to I think training the owners is the most important part of this whole process. And mm-hmm. we're very, very firm on we do not want anybody's dog to leave our facility without going over every detail. Um, you know, calling somebody and say, hey, your dog's done, come get it, will never be a words that come from us because mm-hmm. we've done so many different things that, number one, the owner maybe not know what the standard we brought the dog to. Mm-hmm we get the comment of, well, I've had other dogs before. I've had other dogs trained by you guys before. Mm-hmm. Well, this dog is different in a lot of different ways. And the, the, what, the goals were at the end were the same, but how we got that each student to those goals can 
change, you know, kind of a custom car build right. every time. So we, we go through three lessons minimum. That's our minimums. Uh, more always offer. We always offer our customers, hey, if you've gone home a little bit and you're still a little unsure of anything, it is free charge. Mm-hmm. We want you to get back down here and spend mm-hmm. some more time with us. But kind of like your process, we've put so much work into this new education that if you didn't know what to follow up with, the minute you go home, those dogs are going to test their owners no matter right. what. The first 30 days, they're more likely going to throw everything at you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready and prepared with that routine, and what we're trying to do is really have you simulate the same process that happened at the kennel, but bring it home with you. Yeah. And the sooner you do that, and that's one thing we really talk about on these lessons with owners is the sooner you get home, literally the feet hit the ground coming out of the car, coming home, the best thing you can do instead of having a party mm-hmm. is get that dog into that same routine and that's going to bring that training from home from the kennel home with you uh, and make that testing the dog might want to endure just way less chance of that falling uh, falling apart on you you know when we sat down the original uh, podcast together you know I talked about kind of the intimidation level that a lot of people feel going to a dog trainer right and there's intimidation of my my errors of all the mistakes I've made are kind of on full display for somebody and this person's judging me, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody likes that. That's an uncomfortable feeling. And and I've also talked to people who are like, well, you know, you know, Joe Bob is a great dog trainer. You know, they're not great with people, but they're just a dog whisperer. It's like, if that's your impression of a dog trainer where they're, they're not super personable, I'd be scratching my head a little bit. Because one thing that's universal with the best dog trainers that I know, you and, and, and Tom Dock and Steve Reese down in Iowa and John Zeman, they are super personal, very friendly, can break down something sort of complex, right? Like a, how a dog's perceiving to a, a, you know, a, a real fundamental level that's easy to understand. And, and they got to be friendly. So if you're meeting a dog trainer that just, isn't talking much and not asking questions like that's a red flag should or at least i feel like it's a red flag after talking with you guys because you know you could only take the dog so far and now you need to sort of teach me yeah. otherwise it's all going to fall apart isn't it? It, it a lot of cases it can you know unless the dog is with the trainer for just a, a crazy amount of time mm-hmm. you know years of training that you could maybe walk away with a little chance of that not mm-hmm. happening but yeah you know we do multiple things so i'll give an example like on our first lesson we tend to hide the customer from the dog mm-hmm. you know so the owner can see that well it's like seeing your kid behind the glass at right. school so they right. don't know you're here so we can really show them what the dog's capable of and that's kind of that first step of like is that my dog? Mm. You sure that's my dog? Yep, that's your dog. Mm-hmm. And then we always see that transition of the dog sees the owner for the first time in that first lesson. Things want to start falling apart. Mm-hmm. Owner's pretty emotional. They're happy mm-hmm. to see their dog. Dog's happy to see the owner. And you're observing everything at everything. this point because this is a critically important component of the training process. Absolutely. Because, you know, that dog would have tested us a lot in the beginning, but now you're at towards the end where that dog is working pretty well with you. Mm -hmm. And you just nailed it. When you bring that owner in, you immediately go back and seeing maybe even new things that the dog is doing to the owner that you hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't do one and out. We do multiple as the dog's getting ready to leave us. Uh, going back to that first lesson, you like you just said, you see those things happening, but that also gives you time then to mm-hmm. not only continue working with the owner multiple times, 
but it gives you time to potentially add something more to your training that you weren't working on Mm -hmm. until you've seen the owner and that dog together. And we find that that owner most of the time, like you mentioned, is pretty intimidated. And and there's a lot going on in the owner's head right there, Mm -hmm. right? In that first session, like in our case, we hadn't seen the pup in, you know, close to three months. Yep. Member of the family is like, ah, she's so happy. Mm -hmm. She gets unlimited birds, right? And so there's a lot going on. And then we kind of dive into like, okay, we're going to go through the, the training process with the place board and the retrieving dummies and things. And, and you're like, as the owner, I'm still kind of like, Oh, she's doing great. You know, but we're transitioning over to training me. And you're probably extremely aware of all this going on. And the Mm -hmm. first session is just sort of get acclimated. Things are going to be at their worst, maybe possibly more right likely. Here, yep. Right? On both dog and owner, mm-hmm. you know, cause everybody's excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. The second and on lessons is really where things start to take shape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the owner's trying to take in all this new information, mm-hmm. probably feeling a little overwhelmed, yep. but we do a really good job of not only spending plenty of time with them, but then sending home command sheets, things mm-hmm. for them to look over. And then I find that when they come for the second lesson, they've, they've had a chance to take a breath, go, mm-hmm. okay, I really liked what I seen there. I really want this for me too. Mm-hmm. And that's where the multiple lessons after that, and, and you really see that owner going, Hey, I like what I see mm-hmm. here. I really want this to happen. And, and you see that owner going from, I'm not quite sure. Or a lot of response I see is when things aren't going perfect on the very first lesson, the owner's immediately thinking, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not doing it wrong. You guys are just overexcited to see each sure, other. Sure. But then you see that second and third and fourth lesson, and you're starting to see those two mold together. And what you kind of experience is you started taking over those training mm-hmm. scenarios but then towards the end it was just the little things because mm-hmm. you know you can't come out with that arm but hey you gotta you gotta kind of let that owner progress as right. becoming a better handler and you kind of cover the main things that are the most important to start off with mm-hmm. the foundation of the training and then as you noticed as we went on we just fine-tuned added it. fine-tuned it and mm-hmm. by the last one it's just like hey that one place where your hand is mm-hmm. I, i'd recommend because yep. every time i took that delivery or i did this this is how i did it mm-hmm. and it we find by having those motions stay the same really helps that dog transition. And we're really trying to eliminate the testing. And if the dog's seeing that, hey, nothing's changed, I don't know where you've been the whole time, Dad, right. but you seem to know what's going on here. You'd be amazed how quick then they re- receptive to the owner. You mentioned the, you know, having like the, the e-collar in your right hand so you can accept the bird in the left hand. Like, as you're kind of coaching me through this, it wasn't dissimilar to anybody that's played sports. You know, like if you have a, a grip on a, on a baseball bat, you know, like how to hold the bat, where your knuckles are, you know, the, the motion of your swing, or if you're, you know, shooting free throws and the, like you're looking at dog training through the eyes of a athlete, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the trainer is very similar. Like we're, where you, which hand you're holding certain things makes a difference to how fast you can respond, mm-hmm. right? And you see it when we had to make those adjustments, when she sensed that you were doing things in the past, mm-hmm. in that session, whether your hands or your motion or the way you're, 
that, that kind of gave her a little fuel to mm-hmm. go re- regress on you a little bit. Then we switch things up. We get things the same way they've been going for mm-hmm. three months. All of a sudden, she goes, okay, I got to be more consistent here because of what I'm seeing. And, and that's what dog training really is. is mm-hmm. it, it's not all about negativity in any form. It's about positive reinforcement, showing these animals how to be successful. Sure, we do have to put a little negative on things to stop. Hey, don't pull. Don't do this. You got to yeah. uh, be under more control here. But it's really about showing them how they're only going to get more positive. Or in these hunting dogs' case, you're only going to get more birds, more hunting time. Yeah. And that's really kind of how we closed out with her is we put all that work in the beginning and then all we got to do is enjoy the fruits of our labor towards that end. And that's that, that ending was probably the most important because we had addressed all these things, but the last step was in a real hunting scenario. Mm -hmm. So we had her for months, but we weren't able to do the final hunt the way we wanted because we didn't have the control yet. And I really enjoy the last part. That's usually when owners are looking to get their dogs back. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying what's going on here. I don't know if I really want her to go. This is this is fun here now. I picked up on that. You good because <laughs> you know when you get to the end, it's just oh, it's just you see all your yeah. work come together. You see the dog is understanding what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's there's nothing funner than going out and shooting with a bird with the dogs mm-hmm. that know what's expected of them and. And even for her and I, I mean, we got to the point where, you know, she didn't even test me. She, mm-hmm. she was just happy to please with this new training. Um, and I can't tell you, as a dog trainer, that's the most rewarding mm-hmm. thing. And seeing an owner go, hey, I'm dropping my dog off. And in your case, but a lot of people, like, have a young eight-month-old dog, mm-hmm. and they're going, hey, uh, you got to take this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're kind of at our wit's end. And then they can come back and experience a dog that's under control. They can take out hunting, be in the family, go for a walk around town right. without being pulled around. Right. It's joyous. It's very much uh, mm-hmm. seeing that. And and then uh, your uh, example this weekend here, we're you know doing game fair, and we're getting customer after customer coming in, saying hi, showing us pictures, mm. letting us know that, hey, it's been three or four years, right. but that dog is still performing at that level. And I, I tell you, that's really rewarding as yeah. a dog trainer. That's what keeps me waking up and putting my boots on the ground every day. So two things that uh, for folks that are you know considering bringing their pup into a trainer or already doing that, two things that I'd recommend. One, write your questions down um, so you're prepared. Because in the moment mm-hmm. when you start doing the process of, you know, training the, uh, the owner, right, like there's a lot going on in your mind and you forget certain questions that are beneficial if you know as a trainer. So as a, the other thing is, you know, we were meeting uh, 6.30 a.m. on Mondays, which we live about an hour and 15 minutes north of here. So I was getting up pretty early on Mondays, and Meredith, my wife, was not always coming with me. Um, it, 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 had I to do it all over again, I'd probably pick a different time that she could come every single session mm-hmm. because the session she came with me was sort of a turning point uh, on a variety of levels. There's a comfort level in the home now Yep, when – our pup's been gone for a long time and Meredith can see Gitchy like Gitchy's extremely happy, right? With unlimited amount of birds. But the, probably the more important factor is, you know, if you have two owners, you know, husband and wife or, or family with kids, like bring the kids too, because, because that pup is going to test whoever is in that family. And, you know, Gitchy might, be re- responding to me instantly 
but she's also going to test Meredith too. Yeah, and that's that's a great point you brought up, and and bringing the whole family. And I don't know how many lessons I've done. Kids are doing stuff, and they're oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, happens at home, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Same scenario. Let's let the kids do their thing. Let's train. Let's let that be a distraction. Um, and what we find is once you get kids, I don't know how many kids I've came in and done lessons with that they were pretty intimidated by the dog at that age when it got dropped off. Like the mom, dad, you know, he, he was starting to not want to spend time with the pup. And by the end, having that control of that young seven-year-old child is walking around their dog mm-hmm. and, and getting that new relationship. But you are right. If everybody's on the same page when the dog goes home, that's crucial. Yeah. It is so crucial. And what we find is spending time with each person. That's why when you plan your training sessions with your trainer, be prepared to be there for a while because yeah. we want to spend time with each person. And what I found is I'll spend, I'll kind of run through and you'll kind of find out as a trainer who was the pack leader mm. prior to coming because that person's probably getting tested less. Sometimes it's mom, sometimes it's dad, sure. sometimes it's the kids. But then that gives us a chance to work through everybody, but then spend a little extra time with the one that, hey, that one was getting te- that child was getting tested the most. Well, let's make sure that person's down here each lesson so we can keep getting those reps in. Um, yeah, lessons, uh, like I said, it, training dog is number one, but spending time with the owner, that, that I feel that is the most important part of our procedure. Another thing that you know, we, we talked about this as we finished up today, Sport Dog, sponsor of this particular episode, um, great partner of the organization. And for the last, I don't know, five years, I've pretty much been using the Tech 2.0, which is the Sport Dog e-collar with the GPS unit. When you're grouse hunting, presents a tremendous peace of mind being able to watch your dog on a screen mm-hmm. know where the pup is and you can mark your truck so you don't get lost right <laughs> yeah but it's not as um nerve-wracking in pheasant country because um, most of the time you can see mm-hmm. sort of the horizon Mern's country down in southern arizona the canyons extremely helpful yes. <laughs> i'll say that but as as you're training a pup the, the touch screen to find the GPS is very valuable, but it's a little bit more challenging in the immediacy of what we've gone through with the dog training. That's why I've been using the 1875, Sport Dog 1875, which is a toggle button for two collars. So I can have one collar on Esky, one collar on Gitchy, and then boom, boom, and instant reaction with the buttons right there. I don't have to go from touch screens. I can instantly watch Gitch and if Gitch is doing something just instantly correct her and that's a huge deal in the the baton pass to me as the owner isn't it yeah absolutely and and having those dial ones to make that like you're talking that instant correction being on top you know I really like to save that GPS or those touchscreen for when you have things a little bit more consistent mm-hmm. where you you're at a point where like okay I know this is the number I'm not being tested very often anymore. But when you're in that middle of training, especially us here at the kennel, we're going to go to the the dial ones because there's a lot of scenarios where, you know, the dog's ranging too far. It's this number. And Mm -hmm. then now the dog's got a bird in their mouth. Now it's a lower number. And we're making a lot of adjustments up and down. Um, But once again, you know, that GPS unit for finding the dog, Mm -hmm. high cattails, greatest tool out there Um, but yeah we definitely lean on the dial ones here in training because you're making a lot of adjustments and and having those buttons exposed out on there right at your convenience it definitely as we know training things have to sometimes happen in the moment Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in your pup's case that we were working on that retrieving being a little hard mouth in her case when she picks up a bird not to have instant 
on your end response mm-hmm. with that caller that could give her more time to test that scenario. And, and we find that that's what's working best. And I think you're going to lean on that one for a while here. Yep. And then yep. you and her are going to smooth out, and and you're going to be able to go more back to your GPS caller. And for transparency, I mean, Sport Dog sponsoring the the, um, the podcast. I'm not trying to sell multiple collars. Like, there's legit reason. And, they, and I own both of these units before mm-hmm. I even came here, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like, the 1875 with the beeper is what... I used on Trammel, my original short hair as an adult. Um, And then the advent of GPS units happened in, I don't know, 2012 or Mm -hmm. something like that. And then, you know, that's the greatest thing since sliced bread because you can run silent without a bell or, you know, and you know how to find your truck. (laughs) I've used the GPS on a dog, a young puppy that has no collar training, not even, it's five, it just... Mm-hmm. For the sake of hey, I'm a, I live out in the country, and right. I if the dog takes off around the house, you don't have that mini heart attack of where the puppy went. Right. You're always aware of where that puppy is. So a lot of uses, but you know, being in heavy cover with a pointing dog, mm-hmm. when you don't know if they went on point or not, mm-hmm. and you're trying to call the dog back, and it's standing over there doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing, you know, that really changed. And being able to be silent about it, yeah, you know, no more noise out there, and, and right. with. Some areas, especially if you're hunting a lot of public land that's getting pressured, mm-hmm. you know, less noise scares, you, the, birds scares the birds away. It, there, there's something, it, even with the beeper collar, there's something valuable to, like, you don't have to look at the screen and try to figure out what direction. You instantly, like, oh, there's the hawk screech, and you can go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that relaxation that comes with running silent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I prefer that if all yeah. possible. Yeah. And what, what's the e-collar? So I, I've mentioned the 1875 for Upland because it's got the beeper component. Mm-hmm. What's a, a retriever version? I would that? say that 1825, okay. you know, it's basically the same unit without the beeper. And then they go, you know, that's about a, you know, one mile. Then they got an 825 as half mile and then down to a 425 X mm-hmm. that has 500 yards. You know, it's really about, you know, where your uses are, we see normally people that run pointing dogs that let them run a little bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for that that 1825 or 75 that has that mile range mm-hmm. or up to the GPS, even if you're getting into coon dogs where you're letting them run or we train dogs for shed antlers where you're going to let that dog range and take off. Mm-hmm. Just a great opportunity to use that GPS. And let's say people that have a companion dog that really doesn't leave mm-hmm. too far in front of them, you know, down to that 425, I'm a waterfall as hunter as well, and I even use that small 425 because, I mean, most of my duck retrieves aren't super far out. Sure. I don't need a lot of range. And when you're carrying more things around your neck, you know, full of calls and whistles and things, I, I do like that little unit. Yeah. But anytime I've been out in, you know, bigger country, you know, or like you mentioned, grouse hunting, I, I think you're kind of going out there with without the GPS. This dog sees a deer or something, takes off. Or, right. I mean, you know how thick the woods are up right. there just a great device for those scenarios. So check out their, their lines. But, you know, I think a lot of customers pretty much look at what they do, what kind of hunting. And the nice thing about sport dogs is, is there's something for everybody out there. So as I look to wrap up, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, I place um, a couple of social media posts related to water, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> in in the entirety of our discussion, really, other than not being in the water through tipping a canoe, yep. like we didn't talk about any desire to do water retrieving. Now, Gitch 
is always love the water, mm-hmm. retrieve dummies in the water. But, you know, I've posted on social media a couple times, uh, get sh- retrieving using a drone yep. in the water. So tell us about the advantages of doing a little bit of training in the water. And then, you know, the second part of that is, you know, what the heck were we doing with that drone? Okay. Well, I, I think we, we get that from time to time. Customers say, hey, I'm never going to duck on a day in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need this component or this breed. This short hair, isn't this a pheasant dog? Mm-hmm. Well, we get a lot of customers that are concerned about, hey, I'm not doing that waterfall stuff, so I don't really want you to spend time on that stuff. And it's, we find that, number one, you're going to drop a pheasant mm-hmm. sooner or later, a grouse in a swamp. Something's going to happen where that dog is going to need to go in the water. Well, all right, we're already there. We need to get that dog retrieving pheasants out of the water. Well, why don't we add the decoys? Is it going to hurt? We're going to teach the dog to be steady and not go out without permission. Might not use it, but it's great structure for obedience. And in your case, being in a boat mm-hmm. for your trips or just let's say we're going for a fishing ride or something down there, right. just really helping those dogs have those experience. One thing that's really important with your dog, the reason we really push the water retrieve especially, is we were working on her retrieve. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple things you can do with the water, water with any dog, it tends to help them be a better retriever when they're swimming because they're less likely to drop it, set it down because mm-hmm. they're on the swim. Mm. Usually most dogs don't test their retrieve until their feet start touching land. Mm. And then that's an important element for any dog, especially yours, where we're working on her hold on her retrieve. That was a big part of her. Well, when a dog is wet, they want nothing more but to re- drop that retrieve, mm. shake that water off, and then maybe pick up that retrieve and finish it. So that structure for her of holding out of the water, being wet, and then making long water retrieves, you know, we really feel that it, it helped her retrieving. It helped her as a better bird dog. And if you never duck on a day in her life, mm-hmm. you know, it's really one of those things that she's got the skills. So when that day comes, we know that we're not putting her in a situation she's not prepared for. Uh the drone, you know, that's been something that our older Tom Dockin has really put together. And I tell you what, I use this every day now uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, number one, it was really trying to get dogs, especially waterfall dogs, to look out front. We had the, the dogs looking on the water, but not watching the birds work our decoys and coming in. And, you know, Tom always tells the story of, you know, doing some filming and, all of a sudden the dogs are staring at the drones and a drone with a camera camera on it and he's he's going okay why is that okay that dog is watching this right and then it took some research finding the right guy to put something together for us but it's become something that when you're out training your dog and you might be a one person doing it not Mm -hmm. having somebody to throw for you it really changed the game that we can not only use that to aid us on retrieving on land on water getting the dog to use their eyes in a different way than we've mm-hmm. ever. Uh, but it's really changed the game for us of being able to add more elements to the training and not always needing help. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, we're very fortunate here that we have multiple trainers mm-hmm. on staff. So if I need something thrown across the pond sure. or a long mark, I have a body always on hand. Uh, but we see a lot of trainers and people at home that don't have that extra person mm-hmm. or they have that person, that person's off somewhere else doing a different activity it really gives a person an opportunity to keep training and using a device that allows it to drop like that. I mean, 
to be able and then to be able to drop it leave that drone safely up in the air like when we ran her water yeah the drone was safe in the air once we sent her on retrieve we were able to fly that drone back and land it in a safe spot and um it's really became a tool that I, I, I'll never live without. Yeah, now. it's fascinating because you're you're right. Like, and Tom assessed this instantly, right? The dog immediately just locks in mm-hmm. on that drone, which is exactly what you want to have happen when a flight of mallards are coming in. Coming right? in, yeah. And we'll do the sequence now with daring dogs. Fly the drone, make a couple laps out mm-hmm. in the pond, just like those birds would. Then come in a little closer mm-hmm. at our duck calling, our shot in the fall. Um, it, it just really has advanced a lot of waterfall dogs and, mm. and upland dogs that are just maybe going to be making some long retrieves in the water. And those um, those are for sale, yep. and you can get them. Dock and Dog Supply, we yep. do carry them. Uh, Gun Dog Supply, also another place you can find them. Um, you know, definitely something you want to order. Yep. Um, it takes a little time because we pre-make, you know, them, ahead mm. of, some ahead of time, and then some we custom, you know, order for people. Um but yeah, it's you know also we recommend that it comes with a case and some things to carry it around with. Um, but basically, what's happened is where the camera was located is now where the dropper is located. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's something we would have never thought would have yeah, been put it's together. But uh, it, it's a tool that we'll never move forward without now. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. You know, I, I do uh, the radio show on KFan and. All summer long during fishing segments, we talk about how electronics have changed the the fishing game, mm-hmm. and you know maybe not quite to the extent, but hunting has really um, been influenced by you know as sport dog and e collars and GPS and drones. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's uh it's it's made our dogs maybe not us but our dogs <laughs> <laughs> uh, better bird hunters. Absolutely, yeah. Um, all right. Final thoughts as as uh, as you send me home after receiving the diploma. Uh, what, what are you going to be looking for out of me in the coming season? Well, follow up would be just staying on your drill, staying working with her as many rounds of of, of exercise on this you can get her. And kind of like we talked, just be prepared that every new situation you put her in, Mm -hmm. that she did it a different way in the past, she's more than likely going to have some opportunities to try to test you a little bit. And as we talked, you just want to make sure that you're watching her. And and that's where I think your first few hunts is worrying if you have other, especially if you have other shooters out there that could be doing the hunting where you can put all your focus on her and then just making sure that you bring and travel with your training stuff. So if you have a little hiccup and you're on the road, hmm. you have an opportunity to kind of do a little refresher right there on the fly. Um, other than that, it would be, you know, hey, if you have questions, you have concerns, we need to hear from you. If you can't feel something after a few reps isn't fixing itself, getting her back down here with us and you and doing another session will be the number one thing we're going to recommend out of hmm. you. It, training with your, or, I'm sorry, traveling with your training supplies yeah. that i don't think many bird hunters do that yeah you know it's just one of those things we hope that you don't need them mm-hmm. but it doesn't hurt just having those training yeah. have a little bag full of your training stuff uh i know for example i've been on hunting trips and i seen something in the morning that i didn't quite wasn't happy with everybody we even had lunch i'm like hey i gotta go let the dog out anyways mm-hmm. it only takes five minutes right there boom do a couple sessions with the dog that might change that whole rest of that trip wow just by doing a little refresher that's a good tip mm-hmm um, the other tip you mentioned is um, I, I need to be extremely mindful of small birds, uh, woodcock and quail, just because of the her propensity to be 
hard mouth, that's going to show up in smaller birds than it is yeah, pheasants. Right? Absolutely. The bigger the bird, the bigger filled up her mouth is. You know, I think we've seen it when we went to the pigeon, which is the smallest bird we have on hand. You know, we did address her on some frozen quail that we had left over from a past season. But I think that's going to be the one spot that when you get to there, that's really where we're going to have to make sure that you're on your toes. And, and mm-hmm. like we talked, I need you to go into it assuming something's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And she's going to test you, so you're right there to add some little communication with that e-caller to let her know that, hey, I know this is something different again for you, but the rules need to continue. And and what you're doing here in the early part is putting her on some birds that aren't small and not just going right for that one. You know, I'll have a guy that's a big duck hunter like, well, dove hunting's first of the season. Why don't you wait till duck season gets going a little bit? Let's not mm-hmm. small start with a small little mushy bird, mm. especially with a dog that had tendency to be a little hard mouth. You're, you're kind of giving the dog a reason to go right there, right out of the gate. So I think you're progressing to those smaller birds as the season goes on. We're hoping that you two have enough reps together that when we hit that 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 spot, um, she can handle those little little birds Um, but you know it is small mushy a little bit easier to make that decision to be a little mouthy on it yeah yeah i can't thank you enough absolutely i am uh i am thrilled with where gitchy is better than i could have ever imagined at this point that's what we go for every day and you know and you know i always tell people when they say oh you know you've done such a great job with the dog well you got to remember your dog brought to the table the athlete brought the right things Mm. to allow us to coach them into a finished product here and uh, a lot of credit goes to Gitchy uh, of who she is and what she we just had to give her the opportunity yeah we had to adjust a few things mm-hmm. but you know she really was the right dog to do this with and that that played a big part of this mm-hmm. um, you know our goal is to get every dog out there we see up to its full potential so I'm looking forward to seeing your full potential very <laughs> soon uh, September 10th North Dakota Prairie Grouse Ooh, opener so sounds like a great time here we come Mike, thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. If, if folks want to learn more about uh, Dawkins, um, where do they go? Yeah, biggest thing would be calling our kennel. That's the best thing. Um, Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennels, Northfield, Minnesota, uh, 507-744-2616. Uh, best thing if you have training questions is what we want to do is we want to talk to you directly. Um, I tend to be old school. I like the phone. I like to hear what the owner's saying, get Mm -hmm. that information firsthand. And then the big thing is if we can't help you over the phone with a few things, we're going to request that we make an appointment to see you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, And thanks to uh, Sport Dog. Uh, Check out sportdog.com. I uh, own the Tech 2.0, that GPS unit. I also uh, lean heavily on the Upland Hunter 1875. And as a reminder, Sport Dog is the official e-collar of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. They've been supporting our wildlife habitat conservation mission for, boy, over 20 years. So please support them. They're the official e-collar and uh, sponsor of this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. And I cannot wait to follow Gitchy into that North Dakota prairie. Thanks, everybody, for listening.